You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. This is the closest orange shirt I have. You know, I love when Tennessee wins. And, and contrary to popular opinion, I do pull for Tennessee when they don't play LSU, which they played last week. And you don't have to remind me again. I, I, I saw the game. Uh, but uh, I love when Tennessee wins. You know why? Because the excitement is palpable in the room. You can just feel it, right? The, the worship is on another level. The giving on winning Sunday just goes through the roof. I mean, I'm expecting, Colin, like the largest giving day we've had in a long time, right? And just for the record, the Next Steps area will be available for Alabama fans who need... Com- <laughs> One of my staff members said, you're not going to say that joke, are you, to the church? You're going to offend some Alabama fans. I said, they have won for 15 years. <laughs> give us one. Can I get an amen? I mean, give us one year, right? Amen. Uh, today, I planned this sermon before we started, is on suffering. <laughs> true, that's true. And it's about how to rejoice for all the right reasons in the wrong situations. How do you rejoice for all the right reasons in the wrong situations? Now, we're going to play a little game today with audience participation, and the game is, would you rather? You're going to respond with a show of hands, okay? So, would you rather eat steak or seafood? Okay, so who would rather eat steak? Everybody raise your hand. Okay, a lot of carnivores in here, okay. Who would rather eat seafood? Anybody? Wow, okay. Uh, Who would rather eat my favorite ice cream, which my dentist is not happy about, or cake, okay? Who would rather eat ice cream? Okay, who would rather eat cake? Okay, not so much. All right, here's a big one. Who would rather be on the mountaintop Or who would rather be in the valley? (laughs) Right? All right, who wants to be on the mountaintop? Okay, most of us. Who wants to be in the valley? Like I expected, right? And the reason I ask you that is this. Many of us want to be on the mountaintop, right? Because the mountaintop has the best views, right? The mountaintop seems to be easy. The mountaintop makes us comfortable. Nobody wants to go through the valley because the valley is difficult. The valley is lonely. The valley has no view. But as beautiful as the mountains are, if you've ever been on top of one, you know nothing grows on the mountaintop. The flowers, the trees, the shrubs all grow in the valley. Life happens, things grow in the valley. So the question we're gonna ask is, does that principle apply to our human life? One of the greatest seasons of Candy and and, and my life early on in our marriage was when we had rigged for, uh, after a period of time, not having uh, any luck with conceiving and then finally having our first child rig. And then within a year, it was like one year to the date, we found out that Candy was pregnant again. And so we were so excited. We drove back to Louisiana. We were living in Chattanooga at the time. And Rig was a little over one year old, old, or I think he was a little over one years old at the time. But... We go back to Louisiana, we're gonna celebrate with our family and surprise them. They have no clue what we're gonna share. And I remember how excited we were to walk out with Rig at his little hand, and he had a little shirt on that said, I'm going to be a big brother. And mom and dad, and Candy's mom and dad, you know, they went crazy and excited. And we were on a mountaintop, if you can imagine. Two days later, I was preaching a revival at the BCM at Nichols State for Tim LaFleur. And right before I got up to preach, Candy came up to me and she said, hey, babe, I'm, I'm not feeling really well. 
I was like, you okay? And she said, I think we can wait till after you finish preaching. I said, okay. So preached the sermon at the end of it, walked off the, the, the podium and Candy said, I think we need to go to the emergency room. And that night we spent most of the night in the emergency room running tests. And when the doctor came out, he said, I, I hate to tell you all this, but I think you're losing the baby. You're having a miscarriage. And, and some of you have been there. And so you know what this is like. The next few days and weeks were a valley. But it was during that difficult season of our marriage where we really sensed the Lord's presence. And we knew that during the worst times, God sometimes works the best in our life. And we realized as we look back, we didn't know what God was doing, but you can affirm this and attest to this, right? When you look back on those difficult seasons, you see God with you every step of the way, right? Paul is gonna teach us that principle today. And here's what he's gonna show us. He's gonna show us that in spite of your present difficult circumstances, God is working. And that should be an encouragement because I know in a group this size, there are probably some who are saying, man, I'm going through a tough season. Just got out of a tough season. God forbid I might be going into a tough season. God is gonna encourage us today through his word to show us that he's working the best in the worst situations of life. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter one just journeying through the book of Philippians, chapter one, verse 12. We like to say word because we wanna get into the word until the word gets into us. And so we like to say word, most of us in the room and some at home. So if you're there, you can say word. I mean, that's, after what happened last night, I was expecting way, yeah, more, a little more than that. A little more than that. Let's try it again. If you're there, say word. Yes, it's the little victories in life. Verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, remember, he's in a prison, a house arrest situation. What has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word of God fearlessly, or some translations say boldly. Paul is gonna teach us right out the gate, number one, that the gospel advances in spite of circumstances. The gospel advances in spite of circumstances. Here's what Paul's saying. My imprisonment is actually antithetical to the way you think it would happen. In fact, the outcome is not as expected. You would expect that the gospel message from one of the main guys being in prison would be muzzled, but it's actually advancing. Why? Because God has given me a different audience, you're gonna love this, that I would never have otherwise. Now remember, Paul's in a house church prison, which basically means, uh, according to his own funding from the support of, of the church folk that he's planted churches, they have to pay for his two-year house that he's gonna be imprisoned in. So they fund his, his stay and his food and his lodging. Now, what makes it a house church is the fact that an imperial guard or a Roman soldier is shackled from his wrist to Paul's wrist or from his ankle to Paul's ankle 24 hours a day, every day for two years. And Paul tries to capitalize on this and sees this as a prison sentence, not only that, but a platform to share the gospel. And so every day, the new guard that comes into sh to the shift sits next to Paul, and Paul says, hey, did I tell you that everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's glory? Did I ever tell you that before? 
Did I tell you that no one in the world is righteous, not even one person, believe it or not, because of Adam and Eve's sin, we are separated from God. But let me tell you, I've got good news for you today, Roman centurion. If anyone in here, including you, confesses with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead, you can be saved. Yes, even you, a Roman centurion. Did I ever tell you that before? And you have to believe that some of the guards dreaded going into work, you know? They're like, come on, man, Paul again? Can we, can we get a new draw, you know, a new lot? And they went in. But you have to believe on the flip side, many people, as Paul said, got radically saved. Paul said many people, the gospel's advancing all through the Roman imperial guard because my imprisonment they know is for Christ. Friends, let me ask you a question. Do people know that you're suffering in spite of that? You're a Christian and you still serve the Lord and you still praise the Lord and you still honor the Lord? Do people know that? Now, Paul's not a stranger to prison, right? In fact, it's ironic that he's writing to the church of Philippi because he's already been in prison in Philippi. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 16, you'll see the first time Paul and Silas are imprisoned uh, in Philippi. And basically, the story is, the backstory, Paul and Silas and a few of the disciples go into uh, Philippi and they meet this girl who is telling fortunes for money because she's filled with a spirit of divination or a demonic spirit that she's able to tell fortunes of people. And Paul sees that as an opportunity to cast the demon out. And so he sets this woman free. You think the people would be overjoyed at that. The owners actually get mad because now they can't make any more money. And so they stir up the crowd. They create a riot. The, the townspeople, the text says, strip them of their clothes naked. They beat them with rods and they throw them in prison for doing a good thing for God. Think about that. You talk about having a bad day. And they get in prison and Acts 16, verse 25, records exactly what happens that night at midnight. Watch this. It's a bad day for him. About midnight, Paul and Silas go online and complain about God. <laughs> is, that, is that what it says? No. Paul and Silas have a pity party in prison. That's what some of us would be tempted to do. Notice this. About midnight, and this is an interesting word because words obviously are not there by accident. I think the author, Luke of Acts, tells us midnight because that's the darkest point of the night. And at the darkest point of their life, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a er violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself. The reason he's gonna kill himself is because a warden, if he loses prisoners, he replaces it with his own life. So he's taking matters in his own hand. He's about to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul calls out to him in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're, we're all here. Then the jailer called for the lights. He rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now imagine the scene. They're stripped naked. They're beaten with rods. 
They're put in prison. You would expect them to have a pity party. Instead, they, they start praising God and worshiping God. And I'm here to say today, Elvis ain't got nothing on these two men, right? Because that day is when the jailhouse rocked. Thank you, thank you very much. Right, and that's what Paul, and Paul teaches us a secret I want you to get. Here's the principle that Paul teaches us. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Worship changes attitude, and attitude changes our altitude. Write this down. This is the principle I want you to, I want you to get. Worship changes attitude, and attitude changes altitude. What does that mean? Worship changes our mood. Worship changes our outlook. You can't control the circumstances in your life, but Long Hollow, you can control your worship. Nobody can steal your worship. And we see Paul and Silas turning a pity party in a prison cell into a praise service for a bunch of prisoners, right? And this is why Paul could do that. Paul knows that no matter how bad it is, God will use it for good. Paul knows in the back of his mind that nothing happens by happenstance, that there are no accidents in the economy of God. Now, Jesus' half-brother James, the writer of the epistle, knew the same thing when he said these words, which will make sense now. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials, you know this verse, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work in you so that you are mature and complete, lacking nothing. Jordan Peterson said it this way, one of my favorite quotes from him. Happiness is always to be found in the journey uphill, not in the fleeting sense of satisfaction awaiting the next peak. The greatest opportunity lives where the greatest discomfort lies. Write that down. The greatest opportunity in your life lives where the greatest discomfort lies. True growth begins when your comfort zone ends. When you're stretched beyond your capacity of what you think you could do. And Paul knows that. Paul knows that trials activate supernaturally triumphs in the Christian life. Let, let me remind you of this. God does not put trials in your life to show you how strong you are. God allows trials in your life to show you how sufficient his grace is to meet those needs. That's what he does. And this should be an encouragement for anybody in here and anyone online or at home. Listen to me. If you're in the midst of a trial, if you're in the midst of a struggle, listen, Every person in here, regardless of the hand that you've been dealt in life, you have to play the hand that has been given to you. You have to play the hand. You can't be consumed with looking at other hands and other dealers or other tables. You need to play the hand. And as a believer, we can rejoice. Why? Because we know even though we have a bad hand, quote, or going through trials or suffering, God is still working in spite of our circumstances. I like to say it this way. Suffering is the college degree of character formation. Write that down. Suffering is the college degree of character formation. There are certain levels of character, virtue, skill set that you will not attain to unless you go through suffering. One of the greatest examples, I think, is Helen Keller. You heard the story of Helen Keller. At the age of 19 months, 
Helen Keller, from an unknown illness, went blind and deaf. And when she grew up older, you can imagine when she was aware of her present condition, she got mad, she started to throw things, she started to be upset. But eventually she said there came a point in her life where she stopped wallowing in her present suffering and she started to use it as an opportunity for growth. Helen Keller went on, if you study her story, to be the first person who was deaf blind to get a bachelor's degree in college. She went on to learn multiple foreign languages. She wrote 14 books. She knew how to read Braille. She could touch lips from time to time, taught herself how to speak. She became a speaker where she traveled to 35 different countries advocating for people with disabilities. And here's what she says about character. She said, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. What she basically say is, Laziness doesn't bring anything, right? Only through trial and suffering and tribulation can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Here's the reality of the Bible. <laughs> Without prison, we have no book of Philippians. You can rip it out your Bible because it's no longer there. I want you to imagine the Christian life without these verses. You don't have them because Paul never wrote them. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you to both will and work according to his good pleasure. That verse is not in there. Everything that was to my gain, I now kind of love this, was a loss in, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith and God. I wanna know him and the power of his resurrection and sharing the fellowship, none of that's in there. You don't have this one either, forgetting what's behind and pressing on to what is ahead. And finally, rejoice, not here, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Not only do you not have the book of Philippians, you don't have six other books in the Bible because all of these other books were written while Paul was in prison. First, Timothy, not there. Second, Timothy, Titus, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. Long how look at me. You have no idea how God is using your present situation for future impact. You have no idea. Which leads to Paul's second insight. He wants to encourage the believers to show them that the gospel advances in spite of motives. In spite of motives of people. This one will hit close to home for us. Look at verse 15 of, of, second Corinthians, or of Philippians Chapter two, verse 15, to be sure some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. The word envy there is interesting. It's, it's this idea that you are jealous when someone succeeds further than you do. When a, a friend or a family member gets more accolades or more achievements or more rewards and you can't stand it, that's envy, rivalry. But some preach Christ out of goodwill or with good motives. These preach Christ out of love knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. But the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. 
But what does it matter? I love this. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there are some people out there who are preaching Christ or, or, or being pastors or, or leading churches or planning churches for all the wrong reasons. Some are doing it for themselves out of envy and rivalry. Some are actually doing it out of goodwill. But it doesn't matter, Paul says. Don't be consumed with what's happening out there because as long as Jesus Christ is being preached, as long as the word is going forth, God will use that for his glory. And here's a principle he's teaching us. Paul is teaching us that even our, and I want you to hear this, even our best judgments are normally wrong. Even our best judgments are normally wrong. Why do I say that? Because you and I cannot see what God is doing below the surface in a person's life. When we moved into our home um, four years ago, there was a tree that was right outside our window in the front of the house that we relocated to the side of our home because it was kind of blocking the view. And so we relocated this tree and someone planted it and we did it properly and we planted it in the ground, we watered it. But for the next three years, this tree never grew. I mean, the bark was dry, the leaves had withered, the, the, the limbs never extended, no flowers ever sprouted. So basically this tree was, in my opinion, your opinion, was dead and useless. She would have said, this thing's useless. I was almost gonna pull it out because it was kind of taking up space. Well, this year to my surprise, I go outside and the tree has green leaves. I couldn't believe it. It was like a Jesus miracle of cursing the field. I'm like, what happened here, right? And, and the leaves started to come out and the branches started to grow. And even at the end of the season, flowers started to bloom on this tree. And here's the lesson the Lord showed me. I learned, watch this, that the best growth happens sometimes out of sight. The best growth happens out of sight. Paul's culture taught that if a person was rich or a person was prospering, then they were blessed by God. But if a person was persecuted or a person was imprisoned, they were cursed by God. This is the reason, by the way, why the Jewish people had such a hard time believing that Jesus was the Messiah. They couldn't wrap their mind around a revolution that was led by a man who was persecuted, imprisoned, and then ultimately crucified. Like, how can that be the savior of the world? And that's what they were saying about Paul. Like, this man's always in trouble. <laughs> there's, there's no way, there's no way God's using this guy. This can't be God's God. And he's repeatedly in prison. And they were looking at his present circumstances and judging him. And here's what I want to challenge you. Paul would say, never judge a book by its cover. Never judge a person by their present struggle either. You've heard me talk about the 10-month season that led up to the revival in 2020, how I just sat with the Lord in, in silence and solitude, and he began to pull back layers in my own life of, of arrogance and pride and jealousy. And, and as he started to show me some of these blind spots in my life, and I think you've maybe been here before, the Lord started to show me that once he showed me some of the deficiencies or challenges or issues in my own life, I had this propensity at that point to start being critical of other people who had the same problem. Anybody been there before? It's like I, I started to be very critical of people who did the things that I hated about myself. Ever been there? 
And I would see them all the time. And so I started to be really judgmental of like pastors online who would post pictures of themselves at some of the best places or with the best people. And I started to be critical of pastors who posted about books and retweeted about articles they had written and things they had said. And one of the things that started to kind of rub me raw was this one where I would see pastor friends of mine who would quote people quoting them from Sunday morning and then they would retweet it. Like, hey, let me tell you guys what Nathan posted about what I said that I said in a sermon on Sunday, right? And, and as I was trying to be critical of other pastors, I would sit with the Lord, I tell you, at night, and one night the Holy Spirit, who has an amazing way of doing this, he gave me a checkup from the neck up. You ever been there? He said, hey, big boy. You used to do that all the time. You were a master of fishing in a pond for approval of other people. You, you know how to do it with the best of them. You always promoted self and justified it for the cause of Christ. You were so good at nuancing things you would say so that people would like you. You would tweet and retweet all the time. And the Lord really showed me that, that Robbie, you struggle with this as well. And then I felt like him saying to me this, Robbie, stop focusing on what other people are doing. Even though you did all of those things, the good news is you were, I was still glorified through all of that and I'm still gonna work through all of that. And so he showed me, stop judging people for doing things the way you don't do them. Stop being hypercritical of people doing things in a way that you don't like, right? I mean, that's what I felt like him saying to me. And so Paul would say this to us today, listen, stop worrying about what other people are doing even other people you don't agree with in the church, right? Like if you look at the landscape of the church today, there are very different expressions to church, some of which we don't agree with or don't even like, right? I mean, some churches today, right now, are singing gospel songs. Some of you are saying, I wish I was singing gospel songs, right? Some are singing hymns. Some churches are singing contemporary music. Some churches are singing songs without music. Anybody grew up in that church, right? I mean, that's that, different flavors. Some guys right now are leading worship with hair on their head. Other guys <laughs> are gonna lead worship with no hair on their head. Some pastors and leaders are gonna sing with hats on. Some pastors and worship leaders are gonna sing with no hats on. By the way, people will email me from time to time that come the long haul and say, well, why are all our worship pastors singing and praising God with hats on? And I lovingly say with the love of Christ, I don't know if you know this, but in the, book of, uh, in the city of Corinth, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and tells the women to put hats on. Did y'all know that? Let's bring that back, huh? Anybody, those big fedoras and those <laughs> big, no. God, no. But anyway, some pastors preach in suits. Some pastors preach in ties. Some pastors preach in jeans. Some pastors lead with jean jackets on. Some wear floor shimes. Some wear vans. Some preach in Jordans. Some preach with a preacher voice on Sunday. Some preach softly when they preach. Some pastors will preach with a B3 organ behind them as they are preaching the word of God. Now, I like that. Now, see, I like that right there. Whatever that is, I'll, I get used to that. Can I get it? Y'all help me. Somebody help me. Somebody help me here. Some, 
There you go. Some pastors preach for amens. Some will preach for likes or retweets. Some will preach for followers. Some preach for friends. Some preach politics. Some preach against the president. Some call out other preachers. Some preach against other churches. Some preach cynically. Some preach hypocritically. Some preach judgmental. Paul would say it, does, Paul would say it doesn't matter. As long as they're preaching the Bible and they're preaching Christ, it doesn't matter what their motives is, God is using it and Christ is honored. Now listen, let me give you a word personally, okay? If that's the case, we don't need to condemn people online who don't think the way we think. Amen, amen. Listen, what makes us different than the world is that we act different than the world, right? And I say this with love, but I want you to hear this the right way. The world doesn't need your two cents on Facebook, right? It doesn't need your opinion on Instagram. It doesn't need your tweet on Twitter. What did we do without online social media? I mean, some of us, we couldn't even think of a world without that, right? Let me remind you though, when you get quick to judge, and I know sometimes I, I wanna do this, and I can't tell you how many times I'd send a tweet and erase it, or send a text and erase it, because every time I get quick to judge, God reminds me that every person in this world will stand one day before a just judge who will judge rightly. And I promise you on that day, the punishment will be enough. I promise you. It will be enough. You don't have to judge. God does a good job of that already. Now, speaking of promises, Paul leaves us with this, that when the word of God is preached and the gospel is shared, it never comes back void. Isaiah 55, 11, my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me void, but will accomplish everything it was intended to accomplish according to God's plan. Here's the best way to think of it. The power of the message is in the gospel and not the gospeler. It's not in the messenger, it's in the power of the message. And this is why Paul finishes this way. He says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything but now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And what is Paul saying? Paul's saying this. Paul's saying, I've been dealt a hand, and I'm gonna play the hand I'm dealt. That's what he's saying. And I'm gonna trust God with the results. My life was forever changed when I was 16 years old. I walked into a Magic Master's uh, card trick uh, illusion store in New Orleans waiting for the Bacchus Parade on a Sunday night. And my life was forever changed. Why? Because I saw magic and I saw the potential there. And as I always do with every habit, I limped in half-heartedly. You know me better than that. It's all in. It's it's all in. So I traveled to Vegas twice. I met David Copperfield twice, Siegfried and Roy, David Blaine, and many other magicians. And I wanted to be a professional card magician. I learned sleight of hand and I would do tricks for people. And one of the tricks I used to do, would y'all like to see a trick? Anybody like to see a trick? The problem is I don't know if we can see the trick, right? Can y'all see that? Everybody see that? Watch this. Right out the middle. Okay, so, so, 
I, I wanted to be a sleight of hand magician, obviously. So what I did was, and you probably say, well, that's all the same card. They're not. They're not the, they're not the same cards, I promise. <laughs> it's a regular deck card. But uh, I wanted to be a, a magician, and I used to do this trick, and one of the tricks I would do was a poker routine. And it would have five people at the table, including me, and I would deal poker hands to everyone, but I would turn my hand face up so you would see. And right away you would see that my hand was not gonna win. I had no high cards, I had, I had no straight potential, no flush potential, I had no, no aces or anything. And your hands were pretty promising. And through the course of that trick, you know how it ends, I ended up with a royal flush <laughs> and you ended up losing. And the principle of that trick, as I was thinking this week, is really the principle Paul's trying to teach us. And that is that the outcome of the game is always in the hands of the dealer. And no matter how bad your hand is, you have to stick with your hand and play the hand you're dealt. Like you understand, you don't complain with the cards that you've been dealt in the game when the game starts. You don't fold your hands without drawing more cards, right? You don't look at the other players' cards because that's not gonna help. You don't even complain to the other players because that's gonna useless. You be useless. You play the hand that you're dealt. Here's what I want you to realize. When you were born, God dealt you a hand of cards. And the way life works is this. Life's gonna, life's gonna work where you're gonna have some cards and you're gonna discard some, some cards and you're gonna gain some cards and that's how life works. Life's gonna be a series of up and downs, but you play the hand you're dealt. Let me remind you, you have to play the hand you're dealt. You don't complain to the dealer and say, you know better, why, why don't you give me these hands? This hand's not gonna work, no, that's useless. You play the hand that has been given to you. Come in real close. This is the good news for every believer in here today. You're gonna to love this. God is the one who distributes the cards. And when God's the dealer, every believer wins in eternity with a winning hand, amen? Because that's how God works. So friends, listen to me. If you're bitter over the hand you're dealt, stop being bitter. Stop being upset and holding a grudge because of the cards you have. Stop complaining to God because you don't like what you're holding or telling the dealer what you should know. No, you trust that he knows best and you play the hand that you've been given. Now, knowing this, this is how all of us can worship God, right? Because regardless of what we're holding, we worship God because we know in eternity, we have a winning hand. So that means we can worship God in the storm and we worship God out of the storm, amen? That's why we can worship God and praise him in the sun and we can praise him in the darkness. We can praise him during the day and you praise him at night. Listen, you can praise God when it's winter in life and you praise God when it's summer. You praise God when there are good times and you sing and lift your praises to him and you give a life of worship to him and you praise him when times are bad. You praise him when you're well and you praise him when you're sick. You praise him when you're rich and you pray, you with me? You praise him when you're broke. You praise the Lord all the time. You praise the Lord when you lose 15 years in a row. And then you praise him when you win at Rocky Top. I mean, that's what we do, right? You praise the Lord with your life. You praise him with your lips. Let every person in here that has breath give a praise to the Lord. Why? For he is good and his mercy is new every day. I don't know about you, but that's something we can praise God for today. Amen. This is how we can rejoice for all the right reasons. 
in the worst of situations. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing and I want you to sing in a way that in worship, and obviously worship is more than singing, but it's not less than singing. And although there are some of you like me, when I was going to church with my dad, we, we would sit there and just doing the worship. That's what we do. And I thought that was cool to do, you know. I'm a guy, I don't sing. Let me tell you, you don't look cool doing that. I promise you. You don't look cool doing that. <laughs> Everybody's like, what's wrong with this dude? This dude right here. This guy's a goofball. He doesn't say. No, I don't say. He probably don't say. With the love of Christ, of course, right? No. Let's sing today. Let's worship the Lord today, not just with our life, but with our lips. And if you need to come and just bow before the Lord as we sing, just, just bring your burden to the Lord and watch him turn that into a blessing with the right outlook and the right attitude. I want you to take your worry today and bring it to the Lord and turn it into worship. I want you to take your problems and present it to him in the form of praise. And I want you to watch what God can do when you worship him. Father, I pray right now that as we prepare our hearts to lift our praise to you, God, I'm gonna ask right now that you show us there's something we can worship you for. Even in the midst of our trial, we're gonna sing, God. Even in the midst of our struggle, we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing because regardless of what happens, you are always with us. You never leave us, you never turn your back on us, you never give us false promises, you never let us down. And so in the storm, we're gonna praise you and we're gonna worship you. In the sunshine, we're gonna praise you and we're gonna worship you. We love you, Lord. Accept this praise offering of worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said,